All right, three, two, one. Uh, uh, there we go. Cool. That worked. There we go. the critical channel a show about easy problems like closing pull requests not panicking and staying home today with maxime kravitz kieran patel italo vieto and myself one today part two of on call all right let's so, so let's get right into our topic straight away because everything else that's just happened yep. has been cut out so max Cut out. Should we just dive pretty much straight into our headline topic, which is, uh, so last week we did um, the first part of, of our probably two-part series, maybe more, on uh, incident response. So the uh, last week's episode was uh, about on-call, about the, the process of setting up a rotation and everything like that. And uh, this week we're going to cover what actually happens when the phone goes off. So or the the pager or whatever whatever system you have when you are alerted to um to there being an issue uh what are the steps that you should take and uh how how does that process I know go? this one so, take the phone throw it against the wall go back to bed works so don't give one of the phones <laughs> i think that's step 1 <laughs> i think um we spoke a little bit last time about the you know the metric of like every um Every company has some metrics. Like when you're down for X minutes, you've lost Y thousand dollars, right? So, um, yeah, it it it, dep- it depends whether whether Warner's going to pony up for that or not. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of companies still aren't. They're just like, oh, we're down. Like that's bad, but that's it. Just well, what's your what's your definition yeah, of I mean, down though? I mean, but that's I think a different story. But if you look, okay, so Uh-oh. well, I, th- I think no, I think I think that brings me on. So I'm go- I'm going to try and guide us through like what would a process be of of a critical, and we can talk about like each step of it. So like the first one is you know the phone goes off, but uh, you know as you just pointed out, like what what does that look like? Why why would the phone go off? Uh, what you know what counts as critical, uh, and what you know by the same regard, what shouldn't necessarily be critical. Um, is that based on the impact on customers? Is there uh, perhaps some critical process within internally that that could be broken? I mean, um, I think at least what I like to do is first have a definition of what is an incident, right? And then, because once the incident comes, you still have to ca- categorize it in, you know, like in buckets. So you have like trivial incidents, you have minor incidents, you have major, you have critical. And normally, each of these levels, they are treated completely different, right? Like you put it in a different process anyway. So making sure that the whole one call people know exactly what are the different levels of incidents that you can categorize. I think that helps quite a lot because if you think about like an e-commerce site, right? And the checkout being down, that can be considered critical because you're you're losing a lot of money at that point. Um but perhaps if you have, you know, I don't know, perhaps if, if one of the, let's say the product pages is down, 
well, that might be considered still a critical, but that's a minor critical. It still has to be resolved, but the SLAs are different, right? So I've got a small remark there. It depends yeah. if you just send off a mailing, which is actually pointing to that page. No, yeah, there is also the marketing point, right? Like if, if of course, if there is any marketing campaign which sends to that page and that page is down, normally you have to make everybody aware of it. Absolutely, totally. Or it's like a Black Friday or New yep. Year's, Christmas yep. time, whatever other holiday. Yeah. So also, so the basically the categorization of what is an instant also changes in seasonalities, right? So if you are in a Black Friday. So so co content context is is key. yeah context so, is key. In, you know a lot of yeah. situations. I mean, as well, you know, one of the one of the situations that um, especially you and I at have dealt with a lot is. Uh, and Warner as well is, is to do with um, warehousing of yeah. items and if you know if people can no longer do their jobs because the system that they're using to scan barcodes or whatever isn't working that is a critical uh, they might not be customer yeah. facing but it, it is it is a yeah so i think yeah, and also you guys were dealing with like perishable goods so as well that was, yeah yeah that added to criticality yeah you can't really you know be perishable or not if it has to be if, if it means that like x thousand I, like SKUs are not going to be in the hands of the customers within the time frame that we've that you've said they're going to be there by. I mean, perishable Actually, goods. It's, it's a lot of perishable goods multiplied this by multiple thousands just because this goods going to be gone. Not, not um, just in, that. Like I mean, it's time. it's very simple math. Like once you're dealing with a warehouse or something, definitely with with perishability. Like once that process breaks, you have the people in the warehouse who are not doing anything so you have to eventually pay them overtime because they still have to ship everything out you have to yeah. coordinate with logistics partners to make sure that they hold their trucks uh things can still get shipped then of course you might still end up with things not being shipped on time which means refunds or uh, at least uh, pissed off customers so there's a whole bunch of things going that, on at that point that is interesting because you you have this overview and that's great right as as a developer it's amazing when you have that overview but if you think about it most of the teams let's say from from that are working with warehouse systems developers right that are working with warehouse systems they're not really aware of the impact of their work or of their bugs that are being shipped right so they don't have this transparency so they don't know oh my god i shipped a bug uh, you know whatever system I, I i i use is down well that's fine that happens every once in a while so um you know that is that is something that I think visibility of your work is, you know, super critical, super critical. Well, alluding back to a previous episode, I mean, like, works on my pacemaker. Yeah, yeah, works right, on my like pacemaker. Yeah. Um. So, um. Yeah. So basically, w what I mean is like, you know, if we think about the incident itself, I normally go like to go through through a step of logical you know, logical steps, which is what is an incident? How do you categorize it? I like to call it just severity levels. And, you know, also the different kind of roles you have during an incident. So that's a little bit after. Um, but well, at actually least I the severity levels. Because once you, to define the severity levels, you already need to know as well who needs to be involved with the critical and also how to the communication of that critical yeah that is so yeah that is true that is true but i mean regardless of that you know when you receive an alert which is actually something we should go into now ish 
Um, but when you receive an alert, you are the person who receives the alert, no matter who should be involved with that critical. Like, let's just, you know, you could have different on-call teams, but the fact of the matter is if you receive the alert, yeah, it's something that's vaguely within something that you can deal with and you may end up calling other people to, to help with that. But Yeah, let's just like, assume that, that you yeah. did, uh, you prepared everything else well in whenever phone goes off, it's most likely for a good reason. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah so exactly. If you hit the run book for that specific service thing, which is down, you look at the error, you triangulate, uh, you solve and well, you well, well, toss well, it well, out. Hang on. Now you're already... <laughs> you're, I, that, <laughs> what are your end of episode. Bye, episode. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's too much. I mean, first step is, I think, so you receive the call. Awesome. There you are. Um... So first thing, you open a Slack channel. Normally, these tools open a Slack channel for communication, right? You want to centralize communication. You want to make sure you have all the right people in place. Um, you probably are experienced enough to already say which level the incident is. Is, is this a critical incident? Is this a major incident? Well, hang on a minute. One, how did you receive that alert? But mm. two... If that alert was triggered manually, somebody has already determined that it's important enough to involve. Yeah, you. there. I think there there are two ways, right? Either it's manual, either it's automated. There's yeah, no but if it's automated, then you can already have the severity level as well. Because yeah, if I see, for example, you know. that the latency of my service has gone from um, uh, two mil two hundred or twenty milliseconds to two hundred milliseconds, it might be part of a critical. Yeah, but the severity level might be two or three like relatively low yeah. in the end but you're still called for it or you might have my pet peeve which is the alert that says hey like the ram usage on your server is at 80 percent right now and you're like well good mm. <laughs> like, i'm yeah. paying for that ram i kind of want it to be used <laughs> yeah i mean it, it really depends how you set up your alert right and your slos as well because if you have the right slos then you can definitely put them in the right bucket right so you can say this this is critical this is a major um, because my latency is growing up or whatever. Um, or you can do predictions, right? Like there's a lot of alert systems that you can predict. Okay, my RAM is at 80% right now, but the growth to get to 80% was so fast that I predict in the next five minutes, you get 100 and then we're screwed. Mm -hmm. And then you can well, alert a little bit. Or you have a proper before. scaling system which just scales up. Yeah, let's not get into that because that could avoid an incident, which would be great. But at that point, you're not being paged. Yeah. If you've got that, then... Yeah. yeah, maximum you're being paged by something that you want to be aware of, but it's not really an incident yet, right? But let's say that you don't have auto-scaling. You don't have anything like that. So you just have a problem that appeared. So you get a call either manually, and as Kieran already said, if it's manual, it's probably important enough. Um, or if it's from an, an alert system, it knows which level it is. Then you, as an on-call person, your first action probably is to start getting some data and some people in the in the conversation, right? That is when the well, roles come in. I would I would say your very first action is to acknowledge receipt. Yeah, sure, acknowledge it. Yeah, right. But but also like the, yeah, this yeah. is a step that's quite that's often true. missed because you know uh, while you might press one on the automated thing to make it shut up. You're not necessarily communicating to your stakeholders and customers and whatever, like, hey, like, 
I'm here. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, that's, that's, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of this episode is going to go into how key communication is Absolutely. in these situations, but like it starts right there. Yeah. Like, the first thing first is acknowledge because you, you want to make sure you have your MTTA quite low. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's, this is when the clock starts. I've acknowledged it and now yeah. the stopwatch so, is on. Yeah, exactly. So then you acknowledge what's the next step. I would open a communication channel because communication is key. So you want to make sure you let your stakeholders be aware of whatever problem they're having. And at this stage, I don't think you know what are all the stakeholders, but you know some people, right? You know that someone has to coordinate what is happening in the incident. Doesn't matter how much how complex it is or not. And you know you need an SME, right? So you need a subject matter expert in the field. Because if you're coordinating something, you might not be the one fixing it. Maybe. And well, I mean the question the question is, are you also what the aware problem is? of uh probably not of what it is? Yeah, right. You you might not be you might not need to get an SME just yet because you know, it might be, oh yeah, latency of a thing is doing a thing, and it, it might not. You might not necessarily need your, you know, we were talking about uh, shipping before. You might not necessarily need your logistics subject mm. matter expert for that. So you um, go to so a th- There's uh, or a monitoring system. Well, I, I think there's a stage of just of just information gathering. Yeah, like, um, and you know, it's four o'clock in the damn morning. Like you, like making sure that that information is self service and and. Uh, no, the opposite of self-service. The information comes to you. Mm. So we've talked about run books and stuff, but if like if this is a known alert, then it comes a with a run alert. Then having the information of that run book, like saying, "Hey, like it looks like this is the alert, and this is often the fix for it," and having those come together as part of the the same alert in your yeah. Slack channel or whatever. I mean, you're please re- restart PHP FPS. <laughs> Very common. Yeah, I mean, as funny as that is, that becomes an easy job then, right? You just go and do whatever and yeah, says, then make sure that all the mentioned. But again, that, that, I think this is away. really, really important because there are a lot of errors. In my experience, if I look at at the errors and the criticals that happen, I would say about eighty percent, which I see within the organization, are relatively easy fixed and also documented. Mm. Like these are known issues; they're just not worth fixing. Like this sounds weird, but this is similar as to the human as a service within your application, where you have 99% which your application can do perfectly and you can automate, but you have this 1% which you would spend a hundred times more developing than that one person clicking a button once every six weeks uh, costs you. Yeah, it depends. These are similar alerts. Exactly. So I think maybe in our case, we need to focus on on a specific type of alert. So I think a very good example is a manual alert because those are, in my experience, the hardest ones Mm. to actually triangulate, to actually look at because you don't have a run book. You have, if you're lucky enough, they will actually tell you which system is failing. But most of the time you get something like uh, unable to print document XYZ. Good luck. Yeah. And I think this is maybe a good good way to go into this to actually look at the hardest case and not at the stuff which you can actually automate with most of the run books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it does make a difference, right? Like if you have if you're lucky enough to have an alert system where it comes attached already with a run book, I think you're in a very good position, company wise, process wise. That's not most of the cases, like like Warner just said, normally. 
the incidents are triggered by someone manually. And that comes with, hey, website is down. You go to the website, the website is actually up, right? Like it's responding, you're seeing a page. And what they actually mean it, it is something else. It can actually still be an automated alert, but this is just not the one that you can attach a runbook to, right? Oh, the website is down. You can't just attach a runbook. Yeah, of course. I mean, if it's not restart PHP, <laughs> obviously, if it's something else, then, then how would yeah. you know? So you have to so, start yeah. investigating, right? So you have to look, first of all, what is happening? Like, is it really down? So you have to first, you know, try to replicate whatever they are you know, bringing to the table. So they say the website is down, you go there and if you can't access, okay, they're, they're telling the truth. So you start digging in, but sometimes also, you know, people just write something is down and you go there and it's not really down, but what they actually mean is something different. Maybe a product page is down. Or, or my, my personal favorite, my personal favorite ah, is when you just also, get a screenshot. Like, and no URL at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just a screenshot and it just says like yeah. 500, please try again exactly. or something. So there's also that, which is which makes our life even harder. Um, but regardless, when this kind of you know manual triggering comes, I think the first thing is, well, first replicate or try to replicate the problem. If you can, awesome. Then you have a clue where to start. So you're going to look at your monitoring. You're going to look at your logs and you're going to start finally digging in a little bit deeper until you can pin down the problem or at least have an idea where it is. And then you can bring SMEs, like Kieran said, then you can bring SMEs or fix it yourself, whatever it is, if you know how to do it. Or open run books, if you don't have one, you start writing one and and, and the thing starts flowing, right? During the incident. Well, I think, I think um, I'm, I'm gonna quote uh, an article here, which is going uh, straight in the show notes. Uh, which, by the way, can be found at uh, criticalchannel.io slash 10. 10. 10. Yes. We made it to 10. Success. Yay. Um, but I'm going to quote this thing, which is from Increment, which is an online magazine that uh, is incredibly expensive to get in print, but I want it because it, 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 it's nice. Uh, so, yeah, please somebody send me money so I can buy that. But Sponsoring um, time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, the article says, um, the engineer has a few minutes to triage the incident. They need to figure out what the problem is very loosely. Typically, they can only pinpoint what the problem might be. They need to find out what the impact is, how severe the incident is, uh-huh. and who can fix the problem. Very importantly, the engineer doing the triaging is not responsible for fixing the problem and most likely will not yeah. be able to fix it. Their job is only to triage to figure out to, enough to either know if they are indeed able to fix it themselves or if not, who they need to call yeah, to, to get it. I totally agree. That's why I say roles are important. Normally, this person that you said is going to be the mm-hmm. instant commander or whoever is coordinating the, the whole incident, right? So this one is triaging, triaging whatever is happening. Well, we, we talked a lot last episode about um, how to convince people to, to do on-call when you have a lot of engineers who are maybe reluctant to do it. But one of my uh, go-to tactics for that was always to kind of point out that most of the time you're not responsible for fixing the problem. You're not expected to even know how to fix the problem. Your main job is just to be like, yep, there's a problem. Let's, let's go find the person. And just to narrow down who, who, like, which team or individual or whatever knows how to fix yeah. it and then go fetch so- them. Here, here, here's the thing. Like, I'm now I'm working for a company in a very t- 
tiny team of engineers. And honestly, we don't really have another person to call. You can call like the next person, but that's it. You don't really have a choice. You don't have a commander. You have none of this. So maybe we can quickly touch on this. Like, how do you do when when the team is I also have a small company and work on a small company. And we still have roles, even if we're tiny. Although a single person can assume two roles, but organization is key, right? During an incident, you want to be as organized as possible. And, and that helps. All right, let me, let me rephrase this. You didn't have this from the start, right? Uh, it's, it's good when you have it, but there is like some time you have to, an effort you have to invest in it until you get there. But before you get there, there, there are still criticals and you need to do something about it. But at the same time, though, much more of the company fits in a single yeah. person's head at yeah. yes. scale. Exactly. So, which makes sense, right? Because like, like, okay, Maxi, maybe if you're on call and it's some kind of JavaScript error, you might be lost. But this is again at that point, you are the commander, and you call the front end guy and tell him to get his ass out of bed. Yeah. Right. It becomes much more about like splitting it by discipline mm-hmm. in terms of technology discipline rather yeah. than by yeah. domain. Even though you don't use the name commander, you're acting as someone that knows where the problem is doesn't really feel comfortable to fix it by yourself. And then you call, you know, your, your front end guy, which is right there and, you know, and they fix it. So they are the SME, you are the commander and it worked out. Someone probably have to write a post-mortem or whatever, an outcome at some point to document it, especially in a highly regulated company. Um, and then that's it, right? So you're following a process, even if you're small, but you might not call it with the, you know, with the role names or whatever, which is not that important anyways, as long as you have a clear responsibilities. So. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the roles, particularly the mm. role of the incident commander, because, uh, you know, in some organizations, this might be that you have two people on call. You might have an engineer and somebody else who is the incident commander who may also be another engineer or they may be a non-technical person maybe a product owner or or something like that right um but uh in your view um what is the the role of the incident commander what what, what's the difference between i'm an engineer i'm on call i'm going to look at the logs and maybe not fix the problem but go and find who can versus you also have the incident commander yeah i think the like there are three main areas where the commander kind of tackles or helps Right. And the first one is helping prepare for major incidents. So being actually prepared for it, which is set up the communication channels properly, you know, funnel the people communication through these channels, making sure the whole communication is happening inside this channel. So you can actually later look, look at, uh, you know, all the history you had. Um, they have to drive the whole incident until it resolution, uh, until resolution, which basically means get every, everybody in the same communication channel, collect all information from all team members as possible. If you're a small team, awesome. Your job is, is going to be super easy. But if you are in a bigger team, and especially like dealing with bigger incidents, uh, you wanna need, you're going to need some, some coordination there. Um, and definitely you want to collect all the proposed repair actions to make sure they're you know, making sense. Not everybody's talking at the same time, which is normally a huge problem during an incident. Everybody, you know, having different ideas, restarting servers out of nowhere. That doesn't work. You want to have some order. 
and the instant commander. And keeping Absolutely. track of what's been tried as well. So the same exactly, because maybe oh, someone yes. from another team tried something and then you want to try it as well. You didn't see their communication before and the instant commander has to coordinate all of that, basically. Or in, in uh, the context of a longer running, well, uh, if it's a longer running incident, uh, then having all that documented written down as you're going that along. That is described. Even in yeah, if, if we break down, of course, again, a single person can take multiple roles. I'm just going to break it down in different roles, right? So you have an instant commander, which responsibility-wise, they have to coordinate everything and they are responsible for the postmortem. Very important. Not single responsible, but they're responsible to make the postmortem actually be written and then follow up on it later on. We get to that later. And then you have a scribe, right? And the, the scribe's responsibility is actually going to this channel and collecting every key information. You don't want to collect every single information that is written down, but you want to collect the key ones. And that could be... So again, like this is this is something you can actually automate. So what I've actually yeah. seen a lot is that we use something like Slack pinning exactly. or similar Absolutely. concepts where you actually say, okay, this is something which you can automate and actually let the incident commander do as well. So yeah. It doesn't mean that, that you need to have different people for these roles. It's That's just, what I like, said. It's good to have these, this information. Absolutely. Yeah, I just want to also make it clear that we can automate these things. Yeah. And, you can make it as easy uh, as definitely possible. Definitely for Maxime's small company, that helps. Absolutely. Yeah, it's also like we have listeners of working for companies of different yeah. sizes, right? And if I never worked with a scribe or SME, that will mean nothing to me. I just want these things to be clear for everyone that, hey, SMEs, like a lot of us are SMEs, we just don't yeah. know it. And a couple of years ago, we wouldn't even call ourselves yeah. that. Yeah. But now we know. So No, I'm the headless for chicken. For someone who doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. What? Sorry? I'm the headless chicken. Going ah. all over the place. I see. Yeah. Senior headless chicken. No, you only need the headless chicken once an incident is running for more than like, I would say six hours. Then at that at that point, you need to get somebody in who doesn't know and shit Then you about need a fox, I would debuffs. say, not a chicken. <laughs> and then you need a fox, that's for sure. <laughs> So, Need a priest. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Going back uh, <laughs> to the roles. So, yeah, then you have a scribe or whoever it is. You can make a lot of this automated. That helps. And then you have a subject matter expert, right? Which is basically normally who's going to fix it. Um, and their responsibility is to diagnose the problems and try to rapidly fix it. It doesn't mean you're going to over-engineer a fix. You're just going to get fixed. And then later you can follow up on that. And the last role you normally have, because, you know, some companies like to be proactive towards their customer, you have a customer liaison, right? So that, that helps as well. Um, because then you can be proactive, go on Twitter or go on whatever communication channel. Yeah, whatever Status communication channel whatever, you have. Yeah. And... Uh, you tell your customers something is happening proactively and and that really helps now <clears throat> mapping out this again i'm actually going to add one yeah one more role to but, this. but let me say something before uh, that is? because again this is okay, one of those on. things which you can automate if you look at a lot of places they've actually got that automated where you can actually just in that slack channel they have some kind of command which yeah. automatically says off okay guys we're having problems uh, they update the status of page. Course. There are things you can do automatically as well there. So again, you don't need a person for well, that. That then comes on to branding though. You you might need you might want to have a personal touch with your that, customers. Yeah. Again, depends on your size. Under that instance. Um, 
Yes, and I am more than willing to pick apart this week's Notion <laughs> incident for that. We can definitely talk about that later on because uh, that was a nice example of how not to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the extra whatever we're on now, fourth or fifth role, uh, I would say would be within the non-technical teams having uh, a designated mm-hmm. stakeholder or point of communication for during the critical process because... Um, well, one, again, it cuts down on noise of everybody having to be uh, told what to do or something. You you have one uh, person, whether, again, you can split that up by domain or if it's if you if your organization is split up by countries, you can split it up by country or whoever. But then you just know that you have one person to say like, okay, we're giving you the update. You can then disseminate this mm. among everyone else. Yeah, sure. It also keeps product honest because if, if the only yes. person waking up during a critical are the engineers... Product will never know about it and wonder why everybody is burned out on Tuesday morning. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, if you are, I mean, depending on your size, right? And if you are organized enough, you might have even on calls in customer care, right? For what it's say. Because then you have that point of contact inside your organization. And then, you know, you can you can go to that person and actually talk about the issue. And they are the responsibles for disseminating the information there. Um yeah, it's also, I, I think it's kind of important to note here that it's not just about dissemination. It's uh, critical, most likely would need to be described differently for different yeah. people. Like your customers wouldn't want or shouldn't really know some of the intricacies of what's going on. So most likely you're not even going to deliver this to your customer care yeah, yeah. team, let's say. Well, again, context is important if you're, Datadog, then your customer does care if you're having some issue with, I don't know, Redis or something, right? Like, they're, they're mm. like, okay, I'm interested because... Technical. Yeah, and again, the level like of it, detail like yeah. varies yeah. and, yeah, a bunch of things. Yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, that, that happens during the incident and also after, right? Like how you write the outcome to your customers or to your internal, um, you know, organization because internally you want to have action points to work on it later, but your customers, you just want to say what was wrong. And depending how technical your customers are, you can go more technical. Otherwise you go in, you know, more customer centric, really. Honestly, you don't want to have action points. You want to have action tickets or whatever yeah. you want to feed it directly back to the teams. Yeah. Like, I think the worst, what I've, I've seen, seen is basically you write an entire postmortem. Everybody has the perfect timeline. You have everything there about the incident. You had the perfect communication with your customers. You have five action action items, but no tickets in the boards. So six months later, the exact same thing yeah. happens again. And you're sitting there like, replay. Yeah. And this is, I think, one thing. Like It also comes down to the aftermath of the critical, which is really important. But if you focus on, on during the critical, we have now triangulated it. We've co- communicated to our customers or our product properly we have a subject matter expert which may actually be the wrong one so i think this Mm. is one thing which often an incident commander forgets they kind of think they found a problem and point to that one person and wakes wakes them up and then they stop looking right i think the best people who i've seen actually in those cases are the people who are like okay i've got the subject matter expert on a let's say um istio now let's actually continue looking Mm. and maybe you will find out that actually the problem is within service 
XYZ, cascading which failure. was actually being called by A, etc. So those cascading failures are well, really I- hard. Istio is Istio or any service mesh or API gateway or something is, is always a very good example because uh, a problem quite often manifests there, mm-hmm. but isn't there. Yep. And vice um, versa, right? It manifests somewhere else yeah. and it's there. Yes, yeah. true. Actually, quite often it's the latter. Sure. But they, then, yeah, it's never the API gateway un- until it is. But <laughs> but uh, this is um, why that triage phase is so important, right? Because otherwise you can spend, you know, hours or, or sometimes even, even days going down the wrong path, trying to fix the wrong thing, having repeat incidents over and over again because you think the issue is somewhere else and nobody thought, like... Oh, maybe I should, you know, like go dig a bit deeper and see. Yeah, what but don't is. feel bad. This will so, happen to you. Yeah, yeah, and also I would say uh, apply common ones. sense because some sometimes people decide to just go and look somewhere else because because why not? But like think about it, just five seconds, uh, like just four or five seconds. Think about it. But does it really make sense to go and look those other places? Maybe only look like at two other things, not at like five yeah. of them just because you might have a feeling it's a tricky one especially if you have a it's big team and your incident in commander morning. commander is not necessarily like the sme themselves on any of the subjects then it's next to impossible to actually figure out like what is what is worth to be looked yeah. at yeah but again then as not, the inc- incident commander you have to learn how to organize and, and coordinate because exactly the coordination of that at that point becomes key because if you don't know the experts you actually need to say okay we've got two three subject matter experts in in the house they're all saying okay it could be this it could be this and you have to decide at that point okay we're gonna take action a yeah, first exactly which might be where we start php fpm um it might also be that instead of that you say guys okay we scale down the set of consumers we let RabbitMQ go back up and no, no, no you restart dns first Whatever that no, means. No, you stop using Alpine, but that's not something you want to do during a critical. <laughs> Which actually we did. <laughs> great, I didn't have a segue. I didn't. I didn't have a segue this episode, but now I do. Which actually brings me very nicely onto the next part of a critical, which is uh, not trying to solve the. Problem. I like how you and by the yeah. by the problem, I mean the root problem, the root mm-hmm. cause. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean. Your your idea now is, as you say, you know, you might have a problem with an underlying problem might be Alpine Linux as well documented uh, DNS issues, which I'm not even sure if they're still a problem or what, but like, you know, and the fix for that might be change the Linux distribution of your containers. Well, great. You ain't doing that at 4am for 100 plus microservices. Depends so, on how important that outage is. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Okay. Remember how we had to like actually go and create etc hosts file on yes, like gazillion of machines just because our DNS infrastructure went completely bananas. And but this is a, this is a great example, right? Like if okay, the fix might be swap all your containers for Debian, but. What can you do instead? Okay, you can bake a host file into yeah. all your containers. Yes, yeah, and sometimes you just, sometimes pretty. you just cannot. Right? Again, the only thing I'm trying to say before we go down that rabbit hole, uh, sometimes you do all this tricky and things that sound stupid, like you just do them because there is nothing else you can do. 
it's fine. Sometimes do the stupid, complicated, convoluted BS to mitigate critical. Totally cool. I, I actually agree with that line. Sometimes there is no quick fix. Like we've, we've, yep. like I think one of my favorites was, I think uh, when I was at a certain company, I actually did a migration. This migration was checked by, I would say five developers and it was changing some indexes, basically adding a new index, removing an old one. And all of us went through this thing 50 times, I would say. Um, we deployed the thing and suddenly everything went to shit. The database went down, it went slow, it didn't go anymore. So the first thing we did was, of course, abort the migrate, the, the adding of the index, which was causing the issue. Awesome. Now it got even worse. Too late. Because, no, actually what we did, we removed the original index before adding the new one. Um, Ouch. And at that point, the only thing we could do was actually make the problem worse. So we actually turned off the entire website. We turned off everything running to give the database as much CPU power, as much time, as much resources to add that new index and then go back up. So sometimes you actually have to go make the incident worse before you can fix it. It happens. Well, I think, I think there's a, there's a, another key point somewhere in this, uh, as well, which is a lot of the time, you know, people panic at this stage. See, so, you know, you, you may have gone through all the triage phase, figured out that, you know, roughly where the problem is, got everybody online, but then everybody kind of go, like tries to fix things as quickly as possible, uh, in the interest of not having five more minutes of downtime and ends up making mistakes and causing two more hours of downtime. And I think your uh, your responsibility during this kind of mitigation stage that we've got up to now is to minimize the impact on customers. And that might be by making the impact worse for five minutes rather than having a dragged out impact for 30 minutes. Or two days. Yeah, or however long Maybe. it takes, right? Yeah. So the best thing is don't panic. It's probably one of the best things you can ever do yeah yeah <laughs> just like that yeah. you know and trust me you're good well and that's what we've got time <laughs> for this episode uh <laughs> but i think that that is actually a good, good good thing because don't panic is actually easier said than done yeah because once you actually have those five subject matter experts going nuts at you as an incident commander and of course you will have that one person, Karen, um, who actually does that PHP restart when you tell him not to, Karen. Um, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, Karen. <laughs> Hang on a minute. <laughs> no, come on, Kieran. We, we've done our share of this. No, it's happened to me. I just don't think I've ever been no, the one you to have. do that. But, yeah. Again, fine. That, well, that's, to, you, to you, I that's would. Not that's not a competition, fine. but Context I'm pretty sure everyone here done something yep. like that at least once yeah. like, again, just because sometimes also those little things that you know you accidentally did something stupid and you think oh before everyone I'll notices i'll just go and do something so actually if we go back to the panic part so we've gone you have these 50 developers talking at you you have them going at you going crazy and all of them have done their own little thing as your incident commander at that point you're also in a situation which is really hard to handle so this is again where process. Don't, don't forget the stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. More pressure, even more yeah. pressure. Oh yeah, those are. Those but are. That's lovely. why. But again, like, 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. No, yeah, that's why, I mean, not everybody can be a instant commander, right? Like, I mean, most of engin engineers can be SMEs in a, during an incident, and that's totally fine. But being an instant commander has a level of responsibility and experience that you have to have before you become an instant commander, right? Like, you have to know how to handle pressure, you have to know how to coordinate things properly, you have to know where, you know, mind your surroundings, basically, and make sure the whole incident is running smoothly, even though it looks, you know, chaotic, but still, you can handle it. So not everybody can be an instant commander. Like, that's first of all. You, and if they want to become an instant commander, they have to go through a certain level of experience or training or whatever you call it so i mean that's but i think it's also important to give your incident commanders um also that everybody in your organization knows what the expectation absolutely. is there. because i think the worst one is 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 if you have a process and you say okay this guy is the incident commander and in the end somebody some senior engineer developer cto drops in and says like this is going to happen at that point the incident commander should take precedence. Yeah. He has been on there. He yeah. knows what's going on. If a CTO walks in, he says, now you're going to restart all our servers. Nope. The incident commander just simply has to say no and go out yeah. and go away. And he also or needs yes, to, needs we to do have it, but power. we keep track of it and blah, 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 follow all the procedures. Like, hey, this is like, I don't know, solution C. So yeah. we try yeah. A and, and B, then we let's see. do C. And if C doesn't yeah. work, you stop screaming at me and we continue with d and the rest yeah exactly well, or you say guys we're in the middle of doing b let's wait until b is finished so we talked a lot about buy-in during the previous episode so i think we also have to mention here that team needs to buy that hey the incident commander is your boss during the critical yeah. no matter how smart you are no matter how experienced yep. you are this guy is directing everything here yeah, so exactly and, yeah. and and this is going to be very hard for some of your more senior people in the organization i can honestly say that yeah. because it took me a long time to accept that as well like it took oh, me a long long time 100%. before i would say guys okay this is the issue and i would like dive in and just fix it and instead of that what i've what you have to learn as a senior developer as well in those situations or as an sme is to actually say no i'm not going to fix it i'm going to say i'm going to provide the incident commander with all the information mm -hmm. I have, I'm going to put my advice in there and he can decide yes or no. Yeah. And if he says no, you can only say, like, I'm pretty damn sure this is it. But if he says no, we're going to try X, Y, Z first, let them try. Yeah, absolutely. But this is really important for your for, for the senior developers and the SMEs as well to accept that. Yeah. And, and I can honestly say that is not easy. Well, and also I think if you truly are one of the, the more knowledgeable engineers making a suggestion, then that suggestion is going to have more weight than something than something that's coming from somebody that hasn't proved themselves so much. Uh, I, no. don't, I don't know. Politics aside. Yeah, but you cannot, no. you cannot put not politics aside. It, that's, that's not how human works, right? Not even that. Like if you have a certain size of the organization, like I might be a very senior people person in the company uh, where I met, but the new guy who's now incident commander who's been with the company for six months might not know me because he's working in the front end and I'm working in a totally different area. At the same time, if you then make a suggestion and everybody goes, oh, Warner usually knows what he's talking about, like listen to Warner, then that should also be kind of a level of, a level of bias for the incident commander, even if the incident commander doesn't oh. know you personally.
I think it's always like I think that is a call for the incident commander to make, and uh, also one where he might you need he needs a certain amount of knowledge about systems. Yeah, a certain amount. That's that's why you know you can't have anybody or just anybody being an incident commander, right? Like you you want to make sure that you have the right people there. And then, as you said, the SME they will you know provide them like with the best kind of information they can and their responsibility yep. is making sure this is executed in a certain order and then we try all the possibilities before we can rule out something and that's it right so what happens okay we, we know the rule the roles and uh we know the responsibility of each one of those what happens after an incident so we solve the incident uh, we, we haven't solved it yet like now we've gone through the steps right we've hopefully solved the initial case the question is first of all you you have your you've done your abc it looks like it's fixed mm -hmm. like at that point i think before closing an incident you actually need to verify and this is one thing which i've also seen going wrong where people are like oh okay it looks fine for one minute let's close the incident uh like actually it takes a bit of time to verify that the incident is closed um and this depending on the incident might take five minutes it might take ten it might take half an hour an hour um but at that point you actually as the incident commander or as the person in charge also as the sme who suggested the fix uh, you actually monitor you take a look like okay is everything now back to normal right and once that is the case you can look at closing the incident and what comes after and now I'll give the give it fully back to you. So it makes sense. There, there is there is one important thing that I guess needs to happen before that. We we all need to know at the time we're applying the fix, we need to all need to be on the same page about whether that's the fix fix or it's just something to mitigate the issue. Yeah, I think that's the IC responsibility. Yeah, we, right. we need to know like, this before even applying yeah. this. Like it's it's all about communication and, right? and also like making sure everybody's aligned on the same page of Right, this we pin down the problem. We are like most of the SMEs and the IC is all like, right, this is a problem. We know it. Let's fix it now. And then somebody fixes it. And then somebody validates it or multiple people validate it just to make sure it's going well. Awesome. So everybody's aligned. And then we fix the issue. We validate that the problem is fixed. Cool. So we close the incident. And what happens next now? Because so let me quickly put put well, a side note before, in there. We always talk about fix. A fix is also a rollback. It could it's be. It's not actually yeah. doing anything in code. It can also just be rollback the deployment yeah. done. Yeah, that that's one of the possibilities of a fix. Absolutely. Yeah, or it might very much be like a duct tape fix, and you know, you know that it's going to last until nine a.m. Yeah. when you can look at it. After yeah, that's that's what we sleep. call a mitigation yeah. and yeah. not a fix. Yeah. And language language Which, is quite important yes. here because when you report that something is fixed, especially to let's say a non-engineering part of the organization, and this can also be reported to then to customers and further down the line to stakeholders and yada yada, then everyone else except all these people who were part of the critical would think that it is fixed, as in permanently fix and will never happen right. again which it you know that it may happen i don't know in two hours you just applied some duct tape fix and went to get some sleep so 
Again, language is important. Let everyone else know whether it's fixed permanently or it's just mm. mitigated and you still need to do work. And also let them know whether you even know how to fix it properly because you might not know, right? You may have like a collection of duct tape fixes, but you may have no clue how to actually fix fix it. Yeah. And this is actually also important because this is, comes down a lot to to what you will do after as well. Like, of course, you will gather all the information, describe, describe or your automated system will provide you with the key points and the actions that you did. Um, but it's also going to be part of like the, the aftermath. Like mm -hmm. if you know you have to fix fix, then you don't need to root cause investigation or something similar. If you actually don't know what the fix is and you just have something which seems to have worked at four o'clock in the morning or somewhere earlier or later you might actually have to go further and do a root cause analysis like try to find out based on all the logs which is also really important to not forget please collect your logs right the worst is when you lose your logs during a critical or during an incident and everybody's sitting there like guys what happened the best i mean very we're not, important we're not even here. talking about when, security incidents which is even worse yeah and when we say logs we don't mean logs from your servers right we mean logs from everywhere logs from your terminal what you did what button yeah. you clicked if whatever tool you're using allows you to have some auditing logs amazing if it doesn't Open your notes, application, text file, whatever. Hit, have hit a pen print and paper. Screen. Print screen. Exactly. Have a pen and paper ready. Hit print screen. Write down what you did. Also, print screen is cool, but sometimes you need to know the sequence of events. So just even with a pen and paper, write down, I put this there, switched this to that, did this, and then this happened and blah, blah, blah. This would be of immense help when yeah, writing postmortem. Yeah. Because going through all the Slack history is often useless and it's also very hard. Yeah, yeah. That's when I think, you know, like automation tools, like the ones that Warner mentioned would help because during that thing, you can pin something, say, hey, this is important to be in a postmortem, so I pin it. And that kind of helps. But if even if you don't have that, at least write in a pen and paper and then, you you know, put it together later. That helps a lot. Yeah, so if we go now to the after the incident, right? So things are more stable. We verified everything's okay now. We go to the postmortem, right? So of course, you're not going to write a postmortem at 3 a.m. when you fix the incident, right? That's not going to happen. But as a IC, you should schedule a postmortem review, right? So before you actually write things. Because you want to gather all the information that a lot of people have written in their pen and paper areas or notes. But you don't want to do this at 3 a.m. in the morning. So first thing you're going to do also, is schedule something. The question is also, is the incident commander actually going to write the postmortem? Because this comes down to responsibility again. What I've seen now more and more happening is that actually the incident commander doesn't write the postmortem. No, no, no. I mean, depends he will actually on the company, right? But of in course, general, depends no. on the company. But what I've what I've seen often is that the postmortem is actually forwarded to the team where the fix lies or where they right. think the fix lies. Which again, you don't know for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the 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 IC doesn't need to write the postmortem at all, but they are the ones responsible for having or making sure a postmortem comes out on the right time. And I say right time because depending on the company you work, 
you have a legal requirement to deliver the postmortem after an incident happened within like five days, which is my case. Yep. So actually, security incidents where well. data leaks are involved is uh, actually you have to notify them within notify the like, yeah the notified body know, has like, to be first notified time. yeah. So yeah. oh, it, it, but even if it's not a legal have requirement or something, yeah. it's still a hell of a good yeah. idea. Yeah. And, a good and idea. also, yeah. like the more time you take not writing postmortem. The worse it gets, all this knowledge gets the lost. It comes to figure yeah. out memories fade. On. Yeah, no one the best. has any idea what happened. Pretty much two days after yeah. the incident. Yeah, two days. And, and you might day. have another. You might get another incident. And going. then you're screwed. And then everything yeah. will be lost entirely. And then you will make a bunch of changes on top of what you did. And if it was just a yeah. mitigation, then you're like screwed 100%. Exactly. I mean, my recommendation is always like, if you have an incident at night, right? And uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, you fix the incident. I mean, take your mornings out, first of all, so you don't go to work completely, you know, uh, destroyed. So there are legal requirements here, like you're not allowed to work extra. Exactly. So there's also legal requirements. Yep, totally. Other but not not every country is a field yeah. communist where you have uh, to work where, where we have yep. labor laws and things like that yeah so take your time but once you go <laughs> you know schedule a meeting to whenever you go to your working hours right so schedule the the review meeting because at that point your mind is still fresh you ha- you have rested so now you have time to actually gather people and gather information and start collecting all the important points to write a proper postmortem. And that's very important because I've seen so many postmortems which are completely useless. And in the end, either you don't have a proper outcome, you just have a bunch of blah, blah, blah with no point at all. Nobody knows what happened. Even if you try to read it, it's a complete mess. So it's still, you know, if the team writes the postmortem, awesome. If the scribes writes, uh, writes it, whatever, I see Whoever it is, collect that information it, during that meeting and then write the postmortem and someone else's review your postmortem, not yourself. Hold, uh, hold on, hold on. I, th- I think you're going too fast there because I think you have to start of a postmortem, which is very important, which is what you're talking about, like starting the process. But it depends also what you define under an entire postmortem. Like, is your root cause analysis part of your postmortem? If you say yeah. yes then it might actually take weeks. Like I've been in, in one one investigation in regards to security while we're talking about it, where we, first of all, we had to figure out what was, we had a, a certain URL which was accessible, uh, passed uh, and was able to return certain information of a customer. Right. Um, and it only happened in very specific cases. Like if you logged out and you then reopened the browser or something, it was very strange. Um, in the end, it we ended up having to parse through a couple of, I think it was terabytes of logs, um, to find out which people might have been affected. Like just trying to figure out what the issue was took two de- two to three days, from like okay finding all all the different cases, then trying to analyze the impact of that issue, analyzing what the business impact, what was the security impact, which customers might have been leaked. Right, right. I think we spent about, in, in total, we spent about three weeks on that entire incident. So, And the postmortem took that long to write. Right, I'll tell you what. Postmortems are more complex than what it looks. So maybe we should take this into a next episode where we can talk specifically about postmortems 
for this one, I think we're good. I think we have enough. I completely agree. I think we can, uh, we can definitely. I don't know if it'll be next episode, but let's say that we will do a future episode right. on postmortems. Oh boy, I'm, okay. I can try so and fight some gems think- there. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, the best piece of advice that we've just come up with in this whole hour was uh, don't panic. I think that that is the best advice that I can distill it to. The phone goes off. Whether it's you're the frontline engineer and your job is to find out who to call, whether you are uh, an SME who is being escalated to, uh, no matter what your, uh, even if you are the stakeholder who wants your thing back up and has no engineering expertise or knowledge to to add to it, but is but needs to be there because your system needs to be up and running, just don't panic. And in true Jeremy Clarkson style. On that bombshell, I think we will end Awesome. Uh, so this has been the Critical Channel. This was our episode on Instant Response. You can find us on the web at criticalchannel.io slash 10, because this was episode 10. And you can find us at on Twitter. Critical. As always. Thank you. Thank you all. Ciao. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>